to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we've brought on a awesome returning guest, Matt Four. He was on our episode 313. Can you believe that? Back way back when. And so we've had the privilege of having him back onto the show, giving us an update on what he's doing, what he's seeing in the market. So Matt, welcome back. And how are you doing? I am fantastic. And thank you so much for having me. You are my podcaster idol that I look up to. So <laughs> it's incredible to see your success and the uh, success of the show. Thank you, Matt. So Matt, give us an update. Like, What are you focused on now? And how are you seeing the real estate market going? Yeah, absolutely. So we're recording this in January of 2023. As probably everybody is well aware, things have changed a little bit since the last time we've chatted. Employment is still strong across the board. We went through our whole inflation crisis last year, which that seems to be under control right now. But we're still working through a very volatile debt market from what I'm seeing today. So I'm sure we'll talk through some of the strategies around that. But since the last time we've talked to, my focus had been a lot on multifamily. And since then, I've broadened that out a little bit to include other operating businesses that use real estate as a backbone of their business, such as self-storage, car washes. And I'm also looking a little bit at some real estate debt. I think there's a little bit of distressed debt out there right now. And so trying to figure out how can I be a part of that to secure the other end of my portfolio. So looking at the ways that you've expanded now into other asset classes and broadened your horizons and diversifying a little bit more away from multifamily and getting into some of the other asset classes that you mentioned here, what is your ultimate like, or what is your overall like sentiment of the market in general and real estate? And for you personally and what you're seeing in the market, is it still a good time to get into real estate? Are we too late? Should we kind of hold off? What are your feelings around that? Yeah, I love having this question and we were chatting a little bit beforehand. I always think it's a good time to buy real estate because over the long term, real estate will go up and to the right. Now, what I can't tell you is how long you have to wait to be able to hold it and go up into the right. I'll take our listeners back into early of 2020, right? If you would have told me March, April of 2020 that it would have been a good time to buy real estate, I would have laughed you off this planet. However, what we saw, it was a phenomenal time to buy real estate. Things shot through the roof, inflation took over, and really we had this supply constraint on real estate assets get magnified because everybody else wanted to move, they wanted to upgrade, they needed new things, et cetera. So over the long term, I still am very, very bullish on real estate, specifically in the United States. But I would tell every investor out there right now that you also have to be smart about the markets that you're looking at and the debt that you're securing behind that. So I um, typically go on my little Boise bash here, and I don't mean any disrespect for the people in Boise, but Boise, Idaho was a market in 2020 and 2021 that absolutely exploded. People were moving from San Francisco. They were moving from Seattle. They wanted more land. They didn't need to go into an office. Now all those people are being called back into the office and Boise's experiencing a little bit of softness in their market. So what I would encourage investors to look at is where are the markets out there today that have native job growth, native income growth, and typically those are going to be okay markets over the longer term. 
So kind of summarize it. Real estate is not one market. It's several different markets. Right now, you should be really focused on picking good markets with good demographic trends behind them before making any sorts of investments right now. So the markets that you're looking at are like, let's take Boise, for example, there. When we saw the big boom that had happened in 2020, are we seeing a softening in the markets? Now, I know rents are kind of flattening out a little bit. We're not seeing the acceleration that we were seeing 2020, 2021, 2022. It's kind of flattening out now. But those markets that had seen these huge exponential growth, are they slowing down or are we kind of seeing them kind of still growing, but at a much slower rate than what we were seeing in the past? Yeah, certainly we've cooled off from the 20% year-over-year rent increases in certain markets, but we're still seeing some markets have 3 5 7% growth in our rental markets. So if you're in an environment where I like to use Nashville because that's where I live, and obviously I'm a little biased to Nashville, but Nashville right now, Amazon's going to bring 50,000 jobs here. Alston Bernstein just brought 10,000 jobs here. We've got Bridgestone and Nissan continuing to expand here. So there's still a supply constraint in our market with high demand in our market. So we are still able to charge a rent premium. However, I would encourage everybody... Never do your underwriting based off of 20% rent appreciation. Even 5% rent appreciation is usually pretty aggressive. But in the asset and the markets that we're focused on, we're two years ahead of schedule on our rent growth. So we're still continuing to see some upside there. So for you, the markets that you're focusing in, and now that you've expanded into different asset classes, are all the asset classes that you're looking into now, like the car washes, self-storage, multifamily, are they all in the same markets or are they spread out in multiple different markets? Yeah. So they are spread out across multiple different markets with the geographic focus of the Southeast. So we typically focus our attentions on North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida. We do have a couple of assets that we just recently acquired over in Indiana market, just because there was some unique development plus stability of uh, asset there that we underwrote. But ultimately, that's where we live. That's where we operate. That's where I've grown up and spent my entire life. We just feel like we have a competitive market advantage to that knowledge, but also to the fact that there's a lot of demographic trends that are giving us a tailwind in those specific markets. And right now, one thing that you mentioned was about the debt that's being placed on current opportunities right now and properties. What are you kind of seeing in the market now? And especially across different operators, different opportunities out there. Are there still a lot of volatility out there? But what are some of the ways or what are some of the things that you're seeing currently in regards to the debt market? Yeah. So there's two things that I wanted to highlight in this part of the conversation. One is that we are starting to see a more fixed rate approach on the debt and more demands for fixed rate approach. So just to compare that to floating rate, in the past four or five years, we've seen a lot of floating rate that typically worked in our favor because market rates trended down, debt rates trended down. However, due to the fact that the Fed is raising their rates, which is going to cause a premium on the mortgage markets out there, the commercial mortgage markets, we're starting to see now fixed rate debt and a requirement for fixed rate debt. We're also starting to see LTVs come down a lot. So what you used to be able to acquire 80% LTV on a floating rate debt interest only for five years is now turning into an opportunity where it's being required a 65% LTV at a fixed rate debt with a 20-year AM on it. The second thing I would encourage investors to look at right now is your operator's ability to raise capital. So I'm hearing stories, I'm not a part of any of them, but I'm hearing anecdotes out there right now where I've got this great property, 
you should invest as an LP, et cetera, et cetera. We get all the way to the finish line and all of a sudden the operator is three, five, 10 million short on their capital raise, which means that they need to now go into institutional capital, family offices, the big institutions out there and offer a pref position on their debt, which now puts you as an LP more subordinate in the capital structure. So that's just one thing I would look at right now and making sure before you make an LP investment that there's no preferred part equity partner out there that's going to sit higher you in the capital stack and may demand better terms because of that. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up because especially in the last couple of years, when an opportunity had come around, they would fill out pretty quickly. You would see like, oh, it's 75% at capacity, then 80% and then 100% where now you're on a waiting list and it hasn't been like two days. <laughs> and yep. then now we're definitely seeing a slowdown in the capital raising and more difficult. And from on your side, are you seeing it's because the investors are just more cautious about the deals that they're getting into? Or are they just allocating their capital elsewhere outside of real estate? Yeah, I think it's the former, right? It's people are more cautious. When I'm having conversations with investors out there, there are three different types of investors. Yes, I know real estate needs to be a part of my portfolio and I'm not trying to make a billion dollars and flip my money eight times during the course of the next three years, just looking for steady cash flow, steady appreciation and some tax benefits. So I'm going to continue to allocate. Then on the opposite end of that spectrum, we get self-proclaimed real estate experts all the time telling us that they are not investing right now. They're going to wait to see what happens and they're going to jump in at the bottom of the market and things like that. I think we all know that time in the market and time in deals matters more than timing deals. But also I think their concerns are fair. Like you have to buy at the right price. You make your money on the buy. And then we've got this middle group that's really leaning to us as operators and capital raisers to really understand what's going on in the industry and help guide them towards, does this make sense or not? I mean, let's face it. I haven't seen a treasury note trade at a 4.5% interest rate, I think, in my entire life. And right now, I can go buy a six-month treasury note at 4.5% risk-free. That's kind of hard to beat. You're going to have to show me something better than that. So I think there are some people out there that are seeing that and just want to decide, is this a better place to put my money or do I need to go put it in real estate assets? Yeah. And then especially with the risk aspect of it and what are people putting into their underwriting has been so huge because like what we've seen, we're not really sure where the Fed is going to go with the rates. Are they going to continue to increase it slightly or is it going to continue to flat or it might flatten out? People don't really know. And so in the underwriting, it's so crucial to kind of take a look at what are the assumptions that go into there and how do we mitigate some of the risks that are potentially out there because there's so many unknown unknowns at this point. 
Yeah, that's a fantastic point that you just highlighted there. If you are getting involved as an LP in passive investing in real estate, you want to ask your operators what kind of assumptions they're making, because I'm sure you've seen these deals before where somebody's trying to not advertise an investment and it's like, we're going to redo a hundred units on this property. And oh, by the way, we're going to get that done in the first week, apparently, because my assumptions at the end of this year are that I'm going to be able to raise rents 20%. I don't know if you're going to be able to do that right now. So I definitely think it's important to ask your operators, not only the structure of the deal, but some of the instructions that they have made along the way to get to their underwriting. In what you've seen so far in the market and the deals that have been done in the past, especially when they've been bought back in 2020, 21, a lot of them had put the floating interest rates that he had talked about earlier. And then now they're term periods are now ready to change. They need to look for more permanent types of debt. They have some type of capital events going on. Maybe they had a refinance in there. If someone was already in that situation, should they be like freaking out in this certain case? Because now it's like, well, the debt is so much more higher than what they initially put it on. Was that forecasted inside their initial investments that they were looking at? Yeah, I don't think freaking out is what the right word. I would definitely have some concerns, right? So first and foremost, I don't like any kind of underwriting that underwrites a refinance into it because I feel like debt markets are too unpredictable to call your shot four years in advance and say, we're going to be able to refinance at this. I just typically shy away from those types of deals and those types of assumptions. I think one thing that you can do right now is be proactive with your operators. First and foremost, your operators should be proactive with you if they have this sort of capital event about to happen. But you can be proactive with your operators and ask them things like, what is my capital call provision? Do you think there's an, any chance that we are going to have to do a capital call? So I should be setting aside money. And what are you seeing from in terms of our refinance or in terms of our capital event? Are we having multiple different offers out there where we feel like our debt is secured and our capital is secured for the refinance? Or are we having some struggles there, et cetera? So be proactive, play offense, and make sure that you are understanding what your operators are trying to accomplish if you have some sort of big event coming up. If you look at your portfolio and where you're focusing on in terms of the different asset classes that you're now involved with, the multifamily car washes, self-storage, could you give us like percentage breakout of like where you're focusing on between those different asset classes now? Yeah, it's hard to break it out in terms of percentage wise, because there are different opportunities that hit the market at different times. I will say right now that we do have a pretty big focus right now on car washes. And just to give you kind of the high level pitch there, it's because we like the cash flow returns on the car washes. We are implementing some new strategies on car washes. It's not just as simple as just go wash your car. We're offering some subscription models and membership models that not only help us attract potential clients, but also help us in terms of exiting and the valuations that we can get on the back end. And last, there's some good tax benefits there because in some situations, I'm not a CPA, don't sue me, I'm not a financial advisor, all those sorts of things. But in certain situations, we're able to play some good tax games with the way car washes are structured because they are considered operating equipment, the real estate is, so we can depreciate it on a faster schedule than like a multifamily property. So for those reasons of still some good cash flow games, we're playing a different game and how we're going to add value to those property and they typically cash flow higher, we're trying to continue to gobble up those where we can. Definitely. I've heard a lot about car washes and a lot more people are getting more and more involved in that asset class. 
What is the best place, at least for you, when you were starting to look at car washes to start to build up your knowledge about that space? YouTube and podcasts, right? So <laughs> I don't have cable television in my household. My form of relaxing is watching educational videos on how people depreciate structures and car washes, <laughs> which let me tell you is a thrilling Friday night in the four household. But it's true. Like I think you can find some very, very valuable information on YouTube and podcasts and the access to information these days is incredible. So those are probably the best places I would point you. That's a good. At least you're not fighting for the TV like I have Coco right. Melon on repeat every day at my <laughs> house. <laughs> yeah, you got Coco Melon. We're on the bluey train. All we watch oh, is blue bluey train. right now. <laughs> and so Matt, what is next for you coming up here? We'll continue to find deals, source deals, and put together deals. I, again, just to kind of end us where we started, I always believe that real estate is a good asset class to have in your portfolio. I think it's always a good time to buy. There just might be a few more questions you want to ask in this time period to make sure that your debt's secured. There are no capital call events that are going to be happening in the next five years and those sorts of things. But that's kind of what's next for me to continue to grow and expand our portfolio, continue the podcast that I have called Ice Cream with Investors, and continue to meet great folks like yourself along this journey. It's the best part about being in this space is everybody is so willing to collaborate and network with each other that you really learn and get to meet great people. What is the one question do you think that as people are looking for opportunities that they tend to forget to ask an operator as they're vetting different deals and operators that they should be asking. If you were trying to go out and acquire a deal? Or if you're looking to get involved maybe as a limited partner into an opportunity with an operator. I like the question, is this best for me? And let me tell you why. Because Talking to a lot of different operators and talking to a lot of different investors, I see a gap in people trying to sell what they are doing versus trying to make sure it's a good fit for who they're doing it for. So I think we're talking a little bit, swapping some horror stories beforehand and making sure that you understand what your investor's end goal is and that you are a legitimate part of that and that you're not just trying to gain an acquisition fee. So I can basically sum up, if you're an investor talking to an operator, hey, is this the right thing for me? And if they did say, I don't know, or if they don't ask you what your goals are, that's probably a pretty big red flag that they're just looking to secure capital and not make sure that it's right for you. Yeah, it's a two-way streak. It's not just a one-way partnership. It's got to be right for both sides. That's right. Matt, thank you so much for being on here today and sharing all your insights and super exciting to hear what you've been up to and what you're getting into the market. And so thank you so much for coming back here today. Absolutely. Always a pleasure and look forward to coming back soon. And thank you for listening to our podcast today brought to you by Bonavis Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. 
Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.